2 Timothy. We'll be in 2 Timothy, um, chapter 1 this morning. So please open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy, um, chapter 1. Some of you, I know, have made um, some New Year's resolutions. You've already told me. Some of you have made lists, and some of you have already broken those resolutions. I want to give you one more resolution. If you're that type of person, I don't know if you are, but here's the resolution I want to give you. We are starting a new book of the Bible to Timothy, and in the next 12 weeks, we are going to walk together through to Timothy. And I would encourage each one of you here to resolve to commit to this series for the next 12 weeks. Some of you will serve in the creche. Some of you will be doing other things. But if you are, I would encourage you to take the time even to listen back to some of these sermons and walk through one book of the Bible together. Commit to this new series in the new year. I want to encourage us to do that. And as we begin this new series in 2 Timothy, I want to pray and ask the Lord for His help. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for this letter to Timothy. We pray, Lord, that You would speak to us. That's what we have sang. Speak, O Lord. And I pray, Lord, as we look down at Your Word this morning, as we look at the very words that You have spoken to us in the beginning of this letter, I pray that you would help us understand more of you, who you are, more of your character, and help us to respond by living holy lives dedicated to you, our King. And so we pray these things in your precious name. Amen. Amen. So we are beginning a series in 2 Timothy. And you might ask the question, as we begin this series in 2 Timothy, why would you do to Timothy? One of the reasons you would ask those questions, why would you do to Timothy, is because there is a one Timothy. There's a first Timothy and a second Timothy, and why wouldn't you start on first Timothy? Some of you are really annoyed by that fact. Why would he start at two? Start at one. Have it in order. Some of you are very chronological people. So why to Timothy? Seems obscure, seems a strange letter to begin with, but I think the first two verses of 2 Timothy will explain to us and show us exactly why we chose to do this letter together. Let me read these two verses. This is the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, According to, the promise, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. These first two verses tell us why we are doing to Timothy. Now, you might read those first two verses and say, Shane, these first two verses don't really tell us anything. And I'll make it even more specific. 
I don't think it's just these first two verses that tell us why we're doing 2 Timothy or what 2 Timothy is all about. I think there are three words in these first two verses that tell us what this letter is all about and tell us why we are doing it. And the three words that I want us to focus on this morning are these three simple words. My beloved child. The reason we are doing this letter together is those three words, my beloved child. And if you want to understand the letter of 2 Timothy, it's those three words, my beloved child. And so what I want us to do this morning is investigate those three words at loads of different angles, and as I do, I want you to stay with me because we are going somewhere. These three words, they tell us something. So as we investigate these three words, the first thing we will find out about these three words is that these three words, my beloved child, they are familiar words. These are words that Paul uses again and again. These familiar words are words that Paul has used of Timothy before. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, Paul said to Timothy, my true child in the faith, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. He began 1 Timothy in the same way he began 2 Timothy, calling Timothy what? My true child. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, it says these words, This I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you. What does he call Timothy? my child. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 1, he says to him, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Again and again, Paul is calling Timothy my child. These are familiar words. So when Timothy hears these words from Paul, Timothy is not questioning whether he is his child or not, Timothy just takes them on. They are familiar words. But then as we hear these words, we must recognize and acknowledge that these words are not only familiar words, but as we read these words, they are strange words, aren't they? These words are strange words. Now, for some of us, there are some in this room this morning who are not Christians. And for those who are not Christians this morning in this room, you will realize that Christians, as you hear them talk, they use strange words. Christians, we have our own vocabulary. And sometimes we read these strange words in the Bible and we say, yeah, that's pretty normal, my beloved child. But I want you to think about the words, my beloved child. One grown man saying to another grown man, my beloved child. Picture that for a second. In today's society, one grown man walking to another grown man and saying, my beloved child. I would have three problems with that. Number one, my. I'm not yours. I don't belong to you. Don't you dare ever call me my. I don't belong to you. I'm not your possession. I'm my own man. First problem, my. Second problem, beloved. You don't say, I'm beloved. You don't say to another man, you know, love. 
some of us barely have our dads tell us that they love us, let alone another man to a man. So my problem, beloved problem, and then child. Who are you to call me child? You see? These words are strange words. Yes, they're familiar words, but they're strange words. So then we have to ask the question, well, what gives Paul the right to say these kind of words to Timothy? And that brings us to the third thing about these words. These words, they are life-changing words. And I say they are life-changing words not because they are life-changing in and of themselves, but the reason that Paul can use them and the reason that Timothy can receive them is because both Paul's life has been changed and Timothy's life has been changed. That's the only reason these strange words make any sense. They are life-changing words. That's the only way Paul can use these words. Because Paul's life has been changed. In, two, in 1 Timothy, Paul speaks of this life change. He says these familiar words to us. He says, though formerly I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor and an insolent man, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom Paul said, I am the worst. The reason that Paul can say these words into Timothy, my beloved child, is because his life has been changed by the grace and mercy of God. He is a different man. And so Paul begins this letter to Timothy, verse 1, by saying these words, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul was a persecutor. Paul was a blasphemer. But now who is Paul? Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now, when Paul described himself as an apostle, he used apostle in different ways. He used apostle in the kind of small a way in terms of being a messenger. So there are a few times in Scripture that Paul uses the word apostle and he talks about it being a messenger. Uh, Philippians 2 verse 25, he says this, I have taught it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger. That word messenger is apostle. It, apostle means sent out one. So in a small type A way, there are those ones who are sent out by the church for certain tasks. But when Paul uses the word apostle here, Paul is saying something entirely different. What Paul is saying is this, I have met the risen Christ, and the risen Christ has commissioned me with a gospel to go out to the Gentiles. Whenever Paul is referring to himself as an apostle, he's referring to himself as a sent out one by the risen Christ. He always attaches his apostleship to his meeting of the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 9 verse 1, he says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? And in Galatians 1, 
Verse 12, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it, my apostleship, through a revelation of Jesus Christ. The only reason he is an apostle is because he has seen the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord Jesus Christ has directly commissioned him. Now let me say something to you. There have been self-proclaimed apostles at times that have been in Cork proclaiming to be an apostle. You're not an apostle, big A apostle, unless you've seen the Lord Jesus Christ. And you cannot call yourself an apostle. You must be commissioned as an apostle. So when Paul writes these words, he writes them as one who has, has his life changed, as one who is an apostle, and as one who has received life from the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. The reason Paul can call Timothy my beloved child is because he has a new life in Christ Jesus. And so what that means is that Paul has now new relationships with Christians. He used to be a persecutor of Christians. Now he is calling Timothy my beloved child because he has new life in Jesus Christ. And once you trust and believe in Jesus Christ by faith, you have eternal life. And that changes your life. And that changes all of your relationships. And this is why Paul can say those words my beloved child. His life has been changed. And the reason Timothy can receive these words is because Timothy's life has been changed. I want you to keep your finger in 2 Timothy, and I want you to turn to Acts chapter 16. Turn to Acts chapter 16, back to Acts chapter 16, and you're going to hear about Timothy and how Timothy's life was changed changed. Acts chapter 16, verse 1. It says this, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium, but Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. We learn something about Timothy and Paul's relationship in these verses. One, I suppose, is that Paul takes contextualized ministry very seriously. You're going to have to circumcise yourself. That's pretty serious. That's another conversation. But what we learn about Timothy, it calls Timothy a disciple. In other words, Timothy was a disciple of Paul. And it seems that Timothy was converted by Paul's ministry in Paul's first or second missionary journey. And we hear of Timothy that he has a gospel heritage. Timothy's grandmother was a Christian, and Timothy's mother was a Christian. You're going to hear about that next week. But his father, his father was not a Christian, which means 
Timothy had no spiritual father. And so one of the reasons why Paul can call Timothy my beloved child is because Timothy's life has been changed and Paul's life has been changed. These are life-changing words. What else do we learn about these words? These words, they are corporate words. When you see these words, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to Timothy, you would be forgiven for saying, well, this is Paul's letter to Timothy. So then, this letter can have nothing to do with me because this is from Paul to Timothy. And then some of you might say, well, okay, maybe we can read into it a little more and say this is from one minister to another minister. And so people call these letters the pastoral epistles. So then you could think, okay, well, this letter is just for pastors. This letter is just for those ministers who are leading the church. It's, it's instruction for them as to how they're to lead the church. And this letter can't really be for me. Well, if you turn to the end of 2 Timothy, the very last verse in 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 22 you will realize and understand that these words are not individual words in this letter. They are corporate words in this letter. He ends the letter by saying this, The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. You might say, well, he's just saying that to Timothy, isn't he? But no, these words, they are plural. Let me read it in the Cork translation. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with ye. It's plural. Grace be with ye. Let me read it in the American translation. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with y'all. Or, more properly, you all. So, what does it mean in terms of who this letter is actually to? Yes, this letter is to Timothy, but yes, this letter is for the church. Paul knew Timothy's going to read this letter, but the church needs this letter too, which means this is a letter for you and me. These words, my beloved child, they're not just individual words for us to listen into. They are corporate words. And not only are they corporate words, but we need to keep going. They are comforting words. We are going somewhere here with these words, and these words, they are comforting words. Timothy is about to take on ministry, life himself ministry, and he needs to hear words of comfort from Paul. And Paul is saying to his disciple, my child, you have this. My beloved son, you have this. Do not worry. And so what Paul is going to be doing is addressing how he deals with false teachers, addressing how he points leadership in the church, addressing how he should preach in the church. He's doing, revealing to him all these topics that he's going to need to deal with, and he says it in a comforting way. This is a comforting letter. It is not like the letter to the Galatians. You foolish Galatians! It's not like that. It's Timothy, my beloved child. God has you. God's with you in this ministry. And Paul is good at saying these types of comforting words in his letters. In his letter to the Corinthians, he says to them, 
For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have fathers. For I have become your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He says to the Corinthians, listen, you don't have many fathers or guides, so here's what I'm going to be to you. I'm going to be your spiritual father. He says to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 6, he says, nor did we speak, defending their ministry, nor did we, did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother caring of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives also. These words that Paul is saying to Timothy, my beloved child, they are comforting words. I'm going to be your spiritual father. Just like he said to the Corinthians, I'm going to be your spiritual father. Just like he said to the Thessalonians, we were like a nursing mother to you. They are comforting words. And in these words, these comforting words, we need to remember that they are not just comforting words, but these words, they are last words. These words, they are final words. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. These are the last words that Paul will ever write. These are last words. Paul, we believe, is in his imprisonment in Rome. He is months away from being martyred in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he writes to Timothy, my beloved child. There is weight in these words. These are Timothy's final words. I am about to die. So as we go through this letter, when Paul says to Timothy these final words, preach the word. He means, that's one of the most important things I want you to take away. Preach the Word. In season and out of season, preach the Word. Whether people receive it or not, preach the Word. Whether there's many people in the room or nobody in the room, preach the Word. These are His last words. So as we go through these letter, this letter, we need to realize these words, they have special weight in them. So when Paul saying, my beloved child, wow, he means it. What a meaningful letter this must have been to Timothy. And what a meaningful letter this must have been to the church. 
These words are last words. But you know what that means for us? That means for us, I think, that these words are challenging words. As we go through this letter, these words for us must be challenging words. See, verse 1 and verse 2, they have no command in them. No command. This is what you should do. There's no instruction in them. Here's what I want you to do. So it seems like maybe there's nothing really there for us. There's no specific application. Here's what you need to do in life. But what I think there is in these three words, my beloved child, I think there is an implication in these words. I think there is a challenge for us in these words, my beloved child. Because what you have between Paul and Timothy is a deep and profound Christian relationship between two men. And I think this can challenge the entire church. I think we need to think about spiritual family and spiritual friendship. Have you noticed in this church that many of us, we do not have our fathers around. We do not have our mothers around. We do not have our uncles around or our aunts around. Some of us don't have our brothers and sisters around. Some of us have very few family. So who should be our family? Our spiritual family, the church. Paul uses this language again and again of the family of the church. Father and son, brother and sister. It actually means something that we could be challenged as a church to be a spiritual family to one another. Now, I'm not saying that we have to use the words. Please don't use the words. I'm your spiritual father. Can I be your spiritual father? Can I be to you a nursing mother? That would be strange. You know, if Jebeth said to me, I'd be a nursing mother to you, Shane. No, I don't want you to be that. Paul can say that. I don't want him near me in that sense. But we can be brothers in Christ. There can be a deep sense of family. And there is in this letter. There is a deep sense of spiritual family. And we see that throughout the Scriptures. So that even practically what it could look like in this church is that when families walk into this church with with young kids and it's one of those mornings where I'm just really struggling with my kids, that we don't just sit down and say, well, I hope they can sort them out, but that we would go and we would help and we would be part of that family. That in one sense we could offer a granddad or a granny or a mother or a father in a spiritual sense to people. I long for my children not only to be taught by me, I want and long for my children to be taught by you. They hear me all the time. I would love you 
to get down on your knee and talk to them in the eye like they have some value and worth and that they would feel welcome in the church and that they would hear the gospel not just from me but from you also. That would be a good thing. If we as a church grew as a spiritual family and it's going to take time. And then I want us to think about our spiritual friendship. We're challenged in this way by those words, my beloved child, about the spiritual friendship that we might have in this church. It was a wonderful thing last Sunday, an absolutely wonderful moment last Sunday where we had an open time of sharing. What was most special about that was from the youngest to the oldest were able to share. That tells me something about this church, that young people, they feel welcome. They feel like they can be a part of it. But what I noticed as people shared last week is that people were sharing this. I've really appreciated the men's fellowship. I've really appreciated the women's fellowship. Now, I don't know if that's just because we like being apart, you know, as, as wives and husbands. I hope that's not the case. But we've enjoyed that, I hope, because we're starting to build true spiritual friendship. And I would encourage us as a church to keep going. Keep building that spiritual friendship and relationship with one another. Keep going in that way. And one of the ways practically I think we can keep going is that we would pray for one another. In this coming year, we are going to try and incorporate more prayer into the life of this church. And one of the ways we are going to do that is through the men's group and through the women's group. So here's what's going to happen. I promise you it will happen. There is going to be a Wednesday night in February, and it's going to be dark and raining, and you're going to have had an awful day. I mean an awful day at work or with children or whatever, and you're going to be exhausted. It's going to be rainy, and it's going to be cold, and you're going to have received the church text, and you're going to be saying to yourself, I just don't know, can I go? And on top of that, tonight is a night of prayer. And there's no way, no way I want to do that. It's coming, I guarantee you, that's going to happen. We've all felt that. Let's just call a spade a spade. All of us have felt that. But what spiritual family and spiritual friendship is going to do for you is you're going to say, yes, I feel like this but I'm going to go and be with my brothers and sisters. And when I go and be with my brothers and sisters, I'm going to go and tell them, I feel like this. And you know when we do that, it's going to build proper spiritual friendship so that when we pray together, we won't just come together and pray for our, our cat who's sick. You know, if you want to pray for your cat, then pray for your cat. But I think it would be really good and build spiritual, good spiritual friendship. If we prayed in such a way like this, I am really struggling with parenting right now, Lord. Will you please help me? And the brothers and sisters around you would hear that and gather together. Lord, help me. I'm really struggling to lead my family. Lord, will you help me? 
and that brothers and sisters would come alongside you. Lord, things in my work are really stressful and I'm finding it really difficult. Lord, would you help? Lord, our marriage is all over the place at the moment. Lord, would you help? What if we were the type of church who prayed our private prayers corporately? That would be a game changer. That would bring us to a place, I think, where we would be able to say, I love these people. I wonder how you feel about the people sitting in the room now. Do you like them? Do you know them? Do you love them? Do you really love them? That's what God wants from us. It's good to have great friendships outside of the church. But God has called you here to this local church to be part of this church to love those here. They're challenging words, aren't they? They're profound words. They're simple words. My beloved child. Let's pray that the Lord will help us. Lord, we thank you for your word. From Paul to Timothy, these last words, these comforting words, these life-changing words. But Lord, I pray that they would be challenging words to us in our lives. Help us, Lord, to build friendships and relationships in this church. And Lord, we understand and we know that it will take time. But we pray, Lord, they would help us. And Lord, we understand that as we seek to incorporate more prayer into the life of this church, that there will be days and nights where we will struggle and find it hard and difficult but I pray that we would love you and love our brothers and sisters enough to come alongside one another and run this race of faith until we get to the end. Lord, help us in these things, we pray. In your name, amen. We're going to stand and